Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 5555 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. The only podcast on the internet where Mark and Sarah talk about righting their wrongs. Uh, no, we never apologize for anything here, damn it. <laughs> oh, we've, and, uh, we've apologized before. <laughs> oh, God, you're right. Well, see, I will right the wrong of the lie that I just told. Before we get down to our main business of the day, I do want to give a special shout out to our wonderful Twitter follower, Michelle, and our fantastic Facebook friend and real life friend, Quinn. Because yesterday, uh, today is Monday, May 1st, when we're recording this, and yesterday I put out a random call on our social media channel saying that if they could answer a trivia question and tell me which Whitney Houston song is referenced in the lyrics to Salt and Peppa's What a Man, I would shout them out. They both were the first people on their respective channels to say, my name is not Susan, and therefore we say, we bless you both. Uh, now, speaking of ladies, my name is not Susan, Sarah's name is not Susan, and our our artist of the day is not named Susan, but she does have a name that we probably have heard in our lives somewhere before. Sarah, that awkward transition means it's time to kick it to you. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Episode 55 is Four by Fair. That's Liz Fair. Uh, I decided to do this episode sort of circuitously because... Mark and I were kicking around ideas for the episode that would more or less correspond to Mother's Day. That'll be next week, number 56. And then I was thinking, well, what is the theme of the date, of the drop date this time? Well, it's Cinco de Mayo. So that would be a, you know, fun reason to talk about Liz Fair. Uh, but then I couldn't narrow it down to just one song. And then I couldn't narrow it down to just three songs. <laughs> so that's why we're doing four by fair. Also, who doesn't love a little alliteration? Certainly this retired poetry major is into it. So that is what we are doing. Um, I have also realized uh, what I did not realize was a lifelong dream today when we tweeted about this episode and Liz Fair liked our tweet. What? She did? I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> Oh, listeners, you're learning things at the same time that we are. It's Liz, it's if you're listening, I think you're great. <laughs> oh, man. She really is great. Um, well, I'm not really sure where to begin, but uh, we are going to go in sort of album chronological order. Uh, this first clip is from her is from her debut album, which sort of legendarily was recorded like in her old room at her parents' house with an eight track or what have you, but my history with this uh, song, which is called Divorce Song, is as follows. I used to be on this notorious My So-Called Life list, like a listserv, back when I had a CompuServe account that was all numbers because I am older than the nearest hill, ladies and germs. But uh, someone on that list whose name is lost to history, uh, or at least to me, made a mixtape that was like snippets of dialogue from the show and then songs that were either on the show or inspired by the oh, show. Oh my God. I would have loved to be on that list. had a copy of this tape and then that original listy like vanished. 
But people, like, for years, people would be, like, emailing me randomly, like, I heard that you had a copy of this tape. Will you make me a copy of it? And since I still had a cassette-to-cassette, like, capability, again, older than a hill, uh, I would make these copies, and then occasionally I would, like, at work, photocopy the cassette insert, and, like, I'd send them out. I'd be like, just send me, like, two bucks and a self-addressed padded envelope, and I will give you this tape. It was like my, whatever, paying it forward for my so-called life. Uh, so that was my introduction to Divorce Song, and to Liz Fair, generally, I had heard of her, but even though this album came out in 93, 92 or 93, I didn't plug into it until 94 or 95, which is when the next album, Whip Smart came out. We will get to that. But first, let's hear a clip from Divorce Song. And it's true that I stole your lighter. And it's also true that I lost the map. But when you said that I wasn't worth talking to, I had to take your word on that. But if you'd known how that would sound to Take a deep breath and count back from ten, and maybe you'll be alright. Mark, were you familiar with this song? Tell me about yes. your history with this album, if you have one. So, I became aware of Liz Fair around the same time that you did, I think. Although not, I'm sorry to say, through this what sounds to be life-altering, my so-called life, mix cassette, mixtape, because I was as obsessed with MSCL as anyone could have been. And though I did later in life enter a similar situation by trading Patty Griffin bootlegs around uh, on mixed CDs, I would have loved to have been jumped into the cassette club. Anyway, but I became aware of Liz Fair because the song Supernova had a video that was on MTV. Uh-huh. And so I was just sort of aware of it, but it wasn't until years later when I was in graduate school, Sarah, that I finally got my own copy of Exile in Guyville. And that is because my dear friend, Rachel, who other than you is my spiritual sister in music, uh, and she convinced me that I needed to listen to Exile in Guyville because I loved Ani DeFranco, the Indigo Girls, you know, the whole Lilith thing. Uh-huh. And so I finally bought this CD and I loved it. And Divorce Song was one of the ones that I remember so clearly, along with uh, Fucking Run and the song with the phrase Blowjob Queen in it, Flower, I believe it is. That sounds right. Those were the three songs that really jumped out at me off of that CD the very first time I listened to it. And so for me, 
I still love this song. I love the specificity of the storytelling in the lyrics, but I also love how her beyond disaffected delivery and her intentional, we would later learn, sort of shitty singing makes the song so much more than it is somehow. It's by refusing to perform the pain of it, the pain somehow becomes more real. It's like she's so numb or so human or so truly affected that she can't even work up a performance. She's just feeling it and expressing it. And listening to it right then even, I just think, yeah, exactly. You would have put it in a box and buried it if you had known how this would sound to me. And I've always remained a little bit heartbroken by that lyric because I'm not sure that he would. He might have done it anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's so true. that's those are my thoughts. Yeah, and of course, this album, the title is a, a nod to Exile in Main Street by the Rolling Stones. And this is sort of a, um, like a track by track response, not to that album exactly, I don't think, but to the experience of trying to be like an indie musician at this time, um, as a lady who, you know, not for nothing, is quite teeny. And while this is a somewhat atypical song for this album, uh, which, like all of her work, is a study in the plight of the uh, down-to-fuck lady artist who just wants to get some respect and get laid and isn't sure why that's so easy for gents in her business, but for her, everything is like under a microscope and about her womanhood and femininity and selling out and everything. Um, and everything that you just said about this sort of like disaffected monotone delivery, I think at the time was something that people seized on as like this very Gen X TM thing that she was like, she wasn't going to be, um, emotional or sentimental or genuine but there's almost nobody in pop who is better than Liz Fair at capturing that feeling kind of late in a doomed relationship right where everything is symbolic and portentous and wounding and exhausting and you spend all your time thinking about the relationship and no time actually loving the person and <laughs> this song well said yeah it's very it's a very like not catchy exactly but it's a very singable song um like many of her songs that are like lyrically the most bleak are melodically the most um like the easiest to get into and the most beautiful yes uh, i'm thinking of uncle alvarez which I, like I've been getting clocked for liking that song for ages, but it's like it's this very beautiful song about that fucking drunkle that nobody likes, and this is sort of typical of that. And this album was the last time I think that Liz Fair was able to issue a full album and not be accused of uh, being a sellout, mm-hmm. which is really a pity. And I just like to say generally at having also been accused of being a sellout that like, of course, of course you want to be a sellout. It means that you sold something, right? It means that you made your money and I like 
there's something about the response to Liz Fair's like relationship with commerce that is just I don't know sexist. Like I don't I you know. Well, but see, here's the thing. I'm I don't know if it's entirely sexist because well, it's not entirely sexist because men get clogged for that shit all the time. But no, I mean that I feel like unless I'm mistaken, I feel like a lot of the resistance to Liz Fair after this album actually came from the people, many of them women and gay men, who fell hard and permanently for Exile and Guyville. And so the irony, to the way I've always understood it, is that she records this incredible album that perfectly articulates the frustrations of being trapped inside of a sexist, double-standard-laden society, right? She attacks... She attracts massive populations of people who have been feeling this pain but have not been able to articulate it as well as she can and right. then she creates this perhaps image that the people who love her don't want to let go of so that when she tries to change later it's not just the people who wanted to dismiss her for having the the audacity to be a woman with a point of view and a working vagina those people of course are quick to jump on her but i also feel like her fans who needed her to never change also jumped on her. It's like she was yeah, trapped in even the... Though, and she also wasn't even changing that much, I didn't think. Well, you know, I think it's interesting that you chose Divorce Song as a reminder that this type of pretty melodic song is right there. And then, you know, we'll get to this later, but the, the self-titled album that she released later in which she was working with the same production team that was working with Avril Lavigne, right? That is, for many Liz Fair fans, an unforgivable sin of an album. But it's as we're going to hear throughout the clips you've chosen today, she was making really smart, catchy pop songs all along. And I just think it's really interesting that Liz Fair, by being an early and perhaps unexpected for herself champion of feminist resistance, has never been given the permission to evolve in the same way that other people have and i feel like even someone like tori amos was allowed to evolve because even though her work was incredibly feminist there was also always this sort of mythologized quality to her language or something but liz fair was like i'm straightforward i'm saying exactly what you think and i feel like that as she tried to grow People from all sides were resistant to that. And I think that for some people, though, it was a product of the intense connection they felt to this album. So it's this crazy, for lack of a better cliche, double-edged sword. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I think that there's a, a sense of like, um, past guest John Ramos and I have a like running joke about um, this one friend of ours friend of ours who was like oh super chunk i used to listen to them in high school like um they didn't exist when you were in high school because they were in high school and that sort of collegiate um competition for who knew the most obscure band the soonest right. and related to that i think is maybe a little bit of territoriality about liz fair not in terms of like being a whatever hipster know-it-all but in terms of feeling like someone knew your heart, like yes. someone saw your heart, even though much of it might have been black, ah, and yes. translated it into pop songs and then 
I think there may have been a sense that like they didn't want to share her. Yeah. And if I may, I also think that if you are the kind of person who defined a sense of yourself through the lens of liking Exile and Guyville, it is in some way offensive to your ego to admit that your feelings also make sense in a shiny pop package. Yeah, maybe. Like yeah, how dare Liz I think that's part of How it. dare Liz Fair be Liz Fair and also able to make pop music because pop music is supposed to be what you're against. But if the person who spoke to you so perfectly in this album can also speak in her same voice, but through a pop filter, what does that say about you? Maybe you're not as deeply complexly special as you thought you were, or maybe your pain is more universal than you thought you were. And your sense of alienation can't necessarily just belong to you anymore and you have to think about what that means to grow up and allow yourself to be part of a larger community that includes the popular i'm just thinking through this right now but i feel like there might be something there sarah no writing it down i completely agree and i also think that i mean my take on it was always like great she got big label money yes that means she can keep doing what she's doing and she won't wind up in the position of say an amy mann was giving a concert at Tramps and they didn't fucking send her a drummer or they did, but like he got stuck in Philly and she had to stand there with a boombox as her, as her percussion track and just basically having a rage nervous breakdown on stage. It was extremely difficult to watch. She was so frustrated and it's like, you know, was this before or after Magnolia? This must have been before because Tramps was soon turned into one of those fucking bottle service clubs, I'm pretty sure. Right. But yeah, you're right. Because when Amy Mann got Magnolia, then she also became someone who, even though she never had another mainstream, or I mean, a major label album, you get that kind of uh, stamp and you can like, you just get to make your music and be left alone. This This brings me back to the Fiona Apple question. People still get to hear Fiona Apple because you, yeah. Like if you just could get that major label thing, like for just a little while, it really means so much to you as an, as an artist, I would think maybe I'm talking out of my ass here, but I feel like, yeah, I, I will never hold it against Liz fair for trying to just go ahead and make some of that money. Yeah. Especially since like, I think she was getting divorced. She had a kid at that point. And it's like, look, bitch got to eat. And well, yeah, whatever. Well, like, and also we, let's not I think front we agree. This... And uh, like, I totally get sort of not wanting to share artists yes. that you feel are special. But my instinct is always like, oh, you've heard of X too. Oh, you like X too. And especially when the X is her self-titled album, but so many people were like, well, it's so produced. I'm like, maybe I'm just a Luddite, but I don't actually hear a huge difference. Like Exile and Guyville is one thing. But the difference sonically between White Chocolate Space Egg and the self-titled album is like, I don't hear it. Do you? Not that much. I sure don't. And I also just want to say that if you listen carefully to the lyrics on the self-titled album, especially the first single, Why Can't I? It's a song about adultery, right? Like, it still is fair. She's still is that it's not like that she made this this highly produced album and then started singing mbop lyrics, right? 
Yeah, it's, or like kids songs so that she's like, gosh darn it, like it's she's still the same. How's your project going, Stokes? Great. I've interviewed all the unicorns I need to, but I need to get the interviews transcribed. Uptown Transcription can do it with good rates and fast turnaround. Uptown Transcription at gmail.com. Uptown Transcription at gmail.com. Thank you, Allie. Whether you're an academic, an attorney, an author, or an artist, Shira, that's me, from Uptown Transcription can transcribe all of your recordings. For information and rates, email uptowntranscription at gmail.com. Mention Mark and Sarah talk about songs and save 10% off your first job. Well, so speaking of uh, those other songs, I wonder what what should we listen to next from your Well, pack? I had a tough time choosing, I feel like Whip Smart, uh, especially the second side of Whip Smart is like this one like a sort of single story. So it was hard mm-hmm. to like tease out one song, but I went with X-Ray Man. Um, it's a great pop break. Um, it's very short. It's very like id. It's very Liz in that like id way. It feels like it's about a hate fuck uh, and it's super <laughs> catchy. Like I have been singing it for two days since cutting the clips for this episode. And now my husband not knowing what he's singing or knowing the lyrics is singing it and substituting lyrics about uh, the cats. You're an X-ray cat. Like he, I don't know. So there's something there. Let's listen to a clip right now. Yes. Man, that is such a satisfying resolution to why she's using the phrase X-ray man mm-hmm. about looking through me to the girl behind. Yes, girl. Yeah. Tell me about your poetic truth. Yeah. And you can just picture this guy. You could picture him standing like at, at some party poolside in L.A. at like one of David Geffen's 88 houses. And she's been shoved over there by her agent to try to suck up to this guy so she can get some of that maverick style money right and he's just gross and like looking over her shoulder to see who's more important and interesting and is definitely going to give him a beach and her ability to get a lot of um withering description into a very economical this song is not even two and a half minutes long so yeah I'm a I'm a fan and I think that her ability to marry um her percussion like the rhythm section to what she's doing in the rest of the song is maybe a little underrated. Mm. Mhm. Uh how familiar are you with this album? I'll tell you what, my experience of and understanding of Liz Fair extends as follows. Exile and Guyville, Exile and Guyville and the song Why Can't I? 
So literally okay. everything else she's ever recorded, including this and the other two songs we'll be discussing, all brand new to me. Neat. Uh, so were you tempted by this song and this clip to investigate Whip Smart some more? Yeah, well, I have to say that this is a song that when I first heard it, I I needed more than one listen to get what was happening in this song. Right. Because I thought it was just Exile and Guyville 2 in terms of its sonic quality, so I didn't listen to it very carefully. And then I thought, what is this song about? And then somehow I just got it. I understood. I, I could see the guy at the party, like you said. And I was totally captivated by it. So I have to say, the answer is yes. This makes me want to investigate this album more. Because I vaguely remember... What was the song? Did I already say the name of it? I've lost it now. The song that had a video from this album. Supernova. Supernova, right. I remember liking that. So I feel like, yes, I do need to go back and give this album uh, an attentive listen. I think I think you're onto something there, though, because I seem to recall, and again, it was a long time ago, as most things are now <laughs> in my life. I will stop belaboring that point now, maybe. Uh, but I seem to remember feeling on the first pass through, like, first of all, I didn't love the Supernova was the single, and I didn't love it. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And it was all over 120 minutes back then, I'm sure. Uh but I had the same response as you did that I was like, oh, Exile in Guyville, year two. But there ha- there is like when you listen to it again and you sit with it a little while, which I'm not sure is something that people do the same way. We've talked about this before, but like you'd buy a CD and like you sort of sat with it, or at least I did. Well, yeah, and- because in my case, you only have the one CD player. Like I didn't have a changer. I just had one at a time. So if right. I was driving... I listened to that CD more than once because it was already in the car. Yeah, and the sleeve had slid under the front seat. And it's like, well, you know, we live with whatever's in the the player right now. But I think there is an evolution from Exile and Guyville that the songwriting is tighter. It's a little more confident. Um, It's not a concept album, but because it's because I think it was made based on her success with this concept album. She has a little more, she has more resources to work with and the songwriting and execution is a little bit tighter and more, I don't want to say confident again, it is more confident, but it's also more um, like, this is just a little bit lighter. I think this album, Mm -hmm. Uh, she's never like, there's not a whole lot of bubble gum at least not in a, an ironic way, but yeah. Um, so I'm going to move along now to White Chocolate Space Egg. Uh, all one word. I've never liked that album title. And then on the cover it, of it, she looks very broody. Um, but I really like this album. And I feel like in larger discussions of Liz Fair's work, this doesn't get talked about. Uh, that much and particularly this song that we're about to listen to a clip of polyester bride which is i think a great uh sing-along it has a great build uh to the climax it's a great get you through heartbreak song um and i have a great story 
to go along with it, provided my memory is correct, which may mm-hmm. not be. But first, let's listen to a clip. Yes. And then he said, do you want to be a polyester bride? Do you want to hang your head and die? Do you want to find alligator cowboy boots they just put on sale? Do you want to flap your wings and fly away from here? Sarah, I feel like, yeah, you just handed me the gift of the month with this song. I, I cannot stop with this song. It is so great. And I saw that it came out in 98, which is right at the time that you had songs like Closing Time by Semisonic all over the radio. Do you remember Uh that song? Sure do. How, how did we not hear this song every time that they played Closing Time? This song is just it, it sounds very much of a piece of that type of power chord jangly rock that was popular at that moment but this song also has the complexity of the storytelling to make it even better the wit of the lyrics and the specificity of that picture of her talking to the bartender and the shitty way that the bartender talks to her i mean there's so many levels of things that she is aware of and that you can notice on top of a hook that you could hang your entire closet on. Oh my I god. I love this I song. I know. It's so good. I mean I I sort of associate this with um that moment in the heartbreak when you realize that you're not physically going to die. Like something happens. Uh there's that like semi stranger who kind of sees like sees you in a way that nobody around you sees it or like sees the situation because they're not like listening to you talk about it all the time or someone just like compliments your shoes in passing. And you're like, this, this will end like this feeling like chewed gum will end. And it's often because of songs like this. And I have a memory which could be uh, incorrect because it got pretty late that night of uh, sitting in a gay dive bar in the central village in uh, early 2004 with an actress named Rako Aylesworth. What? Of 24 fame? Uh, Indeed. Um, We had both just been drop kicked by uh, a couple of gentlemen. I believe the implication, although nobody was supposed to know this, was that she had just been punted for the extra point by... Kiefer, oh. don't sue me. Don't email me. 
I, I'm sure she doesn't even remember this, but like someone put this on the jukebox, probably our friend Matthew. And we sang, uh, we just hollered along with it. And I was like, all right, I still feel like shit. I'm going to go home and cry some more, but this is pretty fun. And <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to die. You, like, it was just one of those Sarah, breakups. If I may just quickly interrupt you, you just actually perfectly encapsulated the entire experience of Liz Fair, which is, I still feel like shit, but this is pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like shit. I'm going to cry, but I can also like laugh and be hot and be worthwhile, even though like, I don't know, life is really hard sometimes. And sometimes you just need to sing about it with a big guitar. And yes, yeah, I'm so glad now, that you... you love this song too, because it's, it is really a gift, this song. It's really fun to drive to with the windows down too. I I'm sure. I mean, I have never done that, but I'm sure I would love it. And were you friends with Rako Ellsworth or was she just, a, did you just run into her in this bar? No, no. We, um, my friend Matthew was covering 24 for, uh, television without pity at the time. And they were like hanging out a little, I guess. I don't remember ah, the yes. exact circumstances. I spent this one evening with her. She is gorgeous in person. Very teeny, just like Liz fair actually. Um, it was, and this bar was a pit and I've been in some pits. I don't say this lightly, but it was like the perfect, it was perfect. It was like oh, the perfect great. moment. And we got real fucked up on Heineken. We sang some Liz Fair. I poured myself into a cab and went home. And um, it was like this little bubble of a moment that we never returned to, but uh yeah, it, it helped. Like I got in the cab and I was like, all right, like I I may be able to get up a little more easily tomorrow morning despite the hangover. And so oh, this song great. always brings me back to that and that uh and Liz Fair's eloquence, um economical eloquence on the various stages of like rising from your own ashes is just something that I've always related to really strongly um, with her and her music. And uh, I've always found her very, just very relatable and a beacon in my life. Yes. Speaking of driving with the windows down, uh, that brings us to our last Liz Fair break of the episode from the notorious self-titled album, I'm getting the sense, just based on our uh, Twitter at DocSongs, that we, I thought this was a minority view, big time, that, that I love this album and that you seemed to respond positively to it. And then Twitter was like, what? We like that album. So that was a relief. Um, there were a bunch of songs that I could have gone with here, but this is like Polyester Bride 2. This song, it's called Red Light <laughs> Polyester Fever. Polyester Bride, Denim yeah. Groom. Yes, <laughs> Polyester, you know, Red Wedding Bride. Anyway, it's called Red Light Fever. Let's listen to a clip right now, and then we'll talk about it. Sometimes yes. Sometimes I think about you Why you're always running
so yes, Mark, ma'am. Um, let me. I just want to like check my gut instinct on this. So, what do you think this song is about? Who do you think she's talking to here? I mean, like a specific person. Like no, 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 no. no. Like like not, David Duchovny. No, or? no, no. This is no, no. <laughs> but I'm happy to start that rumor because that's that's pretty funny. Um, no, I mean. What is your sense of the story here? Like, what sort of type of guy is she talking to? Because I have a theory, again, but I feel like maybe I'm full of shit. So, this is just my read. And again, I just discovered this song like two days ago. But it seems to me the my the man that I pictured in this song is the kind of guy who likes to define himself and feels a little bit proud of himself for being super sensitive. But in fact, he is kind of terrified to actually commit to or do anything he doesn't want to stop anything he doesn't want to go anywhere because the, he's, he's got the paralysis of what people might think of him and the image he's created for himself if he actually commits to anything and there's apparently i would think because she says you can't commit to even her there's some person in his life who could possibly make him very happy but he cannot allow himself to do it and so he is now being forced to reckon with his own sense of his sensitivity his metrosexual masculinity and it's sort of terrifying to him i don't really have a great reason that i believe this to be true other than that there's just something about the sound of the song that makes me think of a guy like that as well sarah (laughs) well there are some lyrics in here that um indicate that it could be about something else entirely like playing on both sides of the net. Uh, and that, as you say, I mean, I think your read on it is totally correct. I think it's possible that, um, this is also about adultery, the song and about like, you can't like, you can't commit to even her, like whoever the her is, I feel like is separate Ah. from Liz that, or the, whatever the singer, the narrator, but my take on it has always been that this is one of those um, The Price of Fame songs and that mm. the guy's problem is basically that he loves her music and he loves her, but then reconciling like the Liz Fair that's in front of him with the Liz Fair that is like Liz Fair, the brand, TM. He, he can't do it and it's making him feel... Um, it's making him feel emasculated and less than, uh, so, and he, then he's just paralyzed by it. Um, I oh. could be projecting my experience of coming to this album during that same bad breakup I mentioned. I hollered this, uh, song a bunch too, but then there was something about it that struck a chord as it were in me being in something of a similar circumstance where I don't know. I mean, sometimes like there are these guys that are like, they say that they're feminists. They believe that they're feminists. They, they are horrified to be feeling the way they do about dating or loving a woman who is better known for what you both do Mm. than, than he is. But it's like it's which how he, uh, you've it's had how some experience feels. with in your own life i know some yes um and then i'd solved this problem by um like let's date an actor see how that goes can't can't be well worse. i think also let's just date and perhaps marry someone who's 
really comfortable being himself and therefore has no problem with you kicking as much ass as you do. But sorry, y'all, sure. let's not Mark and Sarah talk about uh, talk yeah, about super personal. Talk about shit. Sarah's life. Um, but yeah, there's that's just one of many reasons that I always find her so not comforting exactly, but listening to what seemed to be her problems in song make me feel less alone with my own problems because many of them have to do with like you're just trying to be a person and an artist in the world and everybody else's shit is always landing on you I mean I guess that's just life but the way that she phrases it and the fact that she swears a lot has always made um has always made her music really uh not empowering but I've I've drawn I've drawn things from it I've drawn like power energy from it because I feel like there are parts of our lives that have been the same. That is awesome. Well, you have definitely done me a great service by letting me hear about that. About I love hearing about your connection to the music and I love just hearing the music because there was so much of this that I didn't know. And I definitely now will be taking a much deeper dive into her catalog. So thanks for that, boo. Anytime. And if you want to come back uh, in a few months with your own 4 by fair, you know that I am here for that. I will not well, fair enough. run away oh. from that. Yeah. Oh! Oh. <laughs> oh. I think we'd better stop before I forget myself and start making terrible puns. and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting, and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. Today's theme song was written by Laura Barger and Jack Baldelli. If you'd like to place an ad, request a song, or arrange for my fine co-host Mark to read your pop chart horoscope, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talksongs at gmail.com, tweet at us at talksongs, or hit up our Facebook page. That's at facebook.com slash podcast. And if you like the podcast, let us know. Leave us a positive review on iTunes or the podcast download interface of your choice. And please download the music you hear legally. Until next time, this is Sarah. And this is Mark. And this, this is, is Mark and Sarah, Mark and Sarah Talk, Talk About, about Songs. songs. <laughs> Stretch it out! Talk About Songs. Oh. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.